Good morning, everybody. I want to share this morning. It's a message that could totally change everybody's life in the way you look at things. And I want to read some scriptures, but they are both well-known and unknown. The, the first one is in Genesis 50. Genesis chapter 50. And Joseph is confronted by his brothers who are terrified now that he's going to kill them. And in verse 19, Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore do not be afraid, I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them, spoke kindly to them. Now hold that in mind, I don't want to keep on going back to it, but it's very vital. But then in uh, Psalm 105, Psalm 105, verse 17 where the psalm is talking about the history of Joseph. And it says, He, the Lord, sent a man, sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters or shackles. He himself, or his very self, his soul, was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Okay. And that would do for now. Um, <laughs> the, the story of Joseph uh, has fascinated me for decades uh, as being the most unusual, really, story in the Old Testament. Unfortunately, many people have only heard the story of Joseph in terms of what they learned in Sunday school that a kid who wore a funny colored coat um, was beaten up by his brothers, sold as a slave, and eventually became next to the Pharaoh, which is about 1% of the truth. Uh, there's a much, much, much more to the story and a meaning behind it that, and I say it very carefully, vitally, if not radically, affects the way you and I actually look at life. So get the big picture here. And the big picture, you, I, I've got to introduce you to the family of Joseph because he didn't just pop up in a vacuum. Um, Joseph was in the family of Jacob. Now, if you know your Genesis, Jacob was the son of Isaac. And Isaac was the son of Abraham. This was the special family. It is the family that God laid hold of, and through this family, ultimately, Jesus is going to come. But he comes to Abraham, and he gives to Abraham a covenant promise. And that promise, let me read it. Um, I should have started out here, I guess. Um, he came to Abraham, and he gives this covenant promise. It says, The Lord said to Abraham, 
and go forth out of your country. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, that was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, who was the son of 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 Abraham. But on the way to that was this family that arose, Abraham's Isaac, Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons called Israel. And that family, this was their inheritance. If you can understand, it was as if it's not only the last will and testament, but it would be read to every member of the family, this is who you are. You are different to all other families on the earth. You have been blessed of God, and you are blessed in order to be a blessing, and blessing to every family you meet and everyone you touch, because ultimately you will be part of bringing about the blessing who is Jesus, who will bless all families of the earth. That's the big picture. And, and the word blessing is a very important word. We, we throw it around. Lord, if you sneeze, you get blessed. And, and um, even around town here, people say, God bless you. You know, it's great. I'm not. But they don't understand what they're saying. The word bless is the oldest word in any language it begins to be used in genesis chapter one where every time god created he blessed and so this goes back to creation itself it's a magnificent word it means it's a big word the definition begins by saying you are being served it's um that's shocking really because it's god who blesses and the word means then god serves you the actual word in the Hebrew language for bless is connected with a camel kneeling down. And, and, and the idea is I kneel to bless you. If I bless you, I say you are of vast importance to me. Yeah, I, I, you are my beloved and I desire and I give to you this blessing. And that is the way it was when humans blessed humans. But it begins and continues all the way through Scripture as God doing the blessing. And so it begins by revealing to us, even in these most ancient pages of the Bible, that God is love, and his love is of such intensity that he wills to serve us, his creature. If you can ever imagine, God kneels before us to bless us. And of course, that actually happened in the end. God became flesh in Jesus and knelt before the disciples and washed their feet as he goes on his way to die for us. Um, this is not just wordy stuff. He did kneel and bless us. It's the meaning of the word. You are beloved. God himself serves you with his love. And so it also then goes on that this blessing clothes you. If you want to get a, a mental image of a blessed person, they're in a bubble, a bubble of love, a bubble in which they are favored. That's a big word with this word blessing. You are favored, from which we get the word favorite. You're set aside. You, you are favored. You are the one 
I mean, look at yourself with awe and wonder. God knelt to bless me. God gave me his very self and his love. It's the meaning of blessing. It means within that bubble or clothing, you are empowered to be successful. And that is another big word attached to blessing. And that doesn't mean that you become a fat cat rich. It means that you are successful in knowing who you are. You're successful mentally, emotionally. You're, you're successful in being a human being, which of course includes you are successful in understanding the very heart of God, with which another word uh, is connected, prosperity where you're blessed, you're prosperous. But again, it's not merely in, in wealth, physical wealth. It is in this prosperity of your very being, prosperity emotionally, mentally. Uh, and of course that reaches both success and prosperity, reach down to everything you touch. A blessed person is successful, but they're first of all successful in their core as a human being. Therefore, you're not merely rich, because that can drive you to suicide. But th this is, is knowing God, knowing yourself, and everything you touch then is blessed, is successful, is prosperous, in order that you then may take of who you are and what you are and kneel before those in your life and say, I bless you, and you pass it on. And that, that was the, the picture. In the New Testament, the word is finally explained to us in saying that Jesus was the one it was always talking about. But also then it says, and that you might receive the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the blessing of Abraham. And so really we're talking here about a person who lives in the Holy Spirit. It's a fantastic word. But it said that this family now, the whole earth has turned into a profound darkness, blindness, have no idea who God is, no idea why we're here. And, and God broke into Abraham in Ur of the Chaldees, a city of vile and filthy idolatry. And he called Abraham out and he said that to him, I will bless you. And in blessing, I will bless you, which means I'll bless you. Underline that in purple. Um, and then he says that you shall be a blessing to everybody you meet. And in fact, in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. That was Abraham. Well, when Abraham died, he lays hands on Isaac, his son, and passes the blessing on. This is the family blessing. And it was an inheritance worth more than gold. It was, we are the blessed people. And we go into this world wherever we are, whatever we find it to be, and we bless that and we serve that world in which we find ourselves. Isaac, remember Isaac um, had two sons, Esau, Jacob. Remember that whole story. But Jacob is the one that finally, do you remember Jacob understood this? He understood the necessity of that blessing. And that's the whole story of him elbowing Esau out of the way. And I'll do anything to get that blessing. And of course, that's not your way you do it. So he didn't really get it until um, the Lord himself came to him as he lay up with his head on that rock and um, 
um, the dream of Jacob and he was blessed. Um, well, Jacob had 12 sons because that was a mess. If ever there's a dysfunctional family in the scripture, uh, try Jacob. Um, there's more than one mother here. So you've got a bunch of guys and they've got different mothers. And in fact, the, the fact is Jacob didn't really like them. Um, he only had one wife that he really loved. Her name was Rachel. And, and the other, you know, good, we've got kids, they can work on the farm. But it was Rachel, as far as he was concerned, as the only wife he had. And she couldn't have children for a long time. And then she had a little boy and called him Joseph. Can you see how this is getting bad? Because you've got some very tough, rough kids out there. Um, I wouldn't like to meet any of those boys on a dark night. They, they were known in the whole area, don't mess with the kids of Jacob. Everybody knew that. There'd be a fight and people will die. And so don't don't mess with those. And they're grown now. They're grown teens and 20s. And finally, this other little kid comes into the family, Joseph. And from the get-go, Jacob is doting on Joseph. Uh, Joseph can do nothing wrong because he's the kid I've always been waiting for. Uh, and as far as Jacob is concerned, this is our little family. There's Rachel, my wife, and there's my little boy, Joseph, and all these others. Well, you go and find out your life. Uh, and, my, and this is it. Be, be kind to them. They feel deeply rejected. They have pain that their father really doesn't want them. All he wants is this other kid. And, and I, it, it amounts to, and I'm trying to, I'm getting into the subconscious here. They hate Joseph simply because he exists. Uh, and, and as the, the child grows, you, you hear about the coat of many colors. That actually is a poor translation. It, the, the coat really was the coat of the beloved one. It was usually given to the firstborn. That was the custom. Reuben was the firstborn. Uh, they had, and there was a second born, a third born, a fourth born, uh, and none of them got the coat. Only Jacob put this special coat, the coat of the beloved, the coat of my favored one, usually the one who's going to carry the blessing. Doesn't do well when you put that coat on a 10-year-old who knows by this time that he's being favored and knows by this time that his brothers don't like it. It's not a good thing. It's going to cause problems. It was possibly, have you ever seen that uh, material where if you, if you move it in the sun, it changes color? Uh, that was what it was. It, not so much the guy had a clown patch coat on. It was this very expensive, very carefully woven coat that changed color as he moved. And um, But then, yeah, then, then the kid had dreams. Dreams were very special in those days. And he dreams 
symbolically, but to put it in a nutshell, that his brothers came and bowed down before him. That's all they needed to know. Here's a 30-year-old man having a 10-year-old kid say, you're going to bow down to me one day. I mean, imagine that at breakfast time when the seven-year-old kid comes and says that. And then he added to it a few weeks later and said, I had that dream again. Yeah, right. Yeah, but in this time, this time my parents were with you. They all bowed down to me. Um, it did not sit well. He was hated just for being there. He was despised because he had the coat. But now he's daring to stand up there at the breakfast table and say, you are going to bow down to me. Doesn't, doesn't sit well. Um, and, and these other sons had no interest in the inheritance. That is, they, they could really care less who they were. They, they were finding their place in society with a sword in their hand and terror on their voice. Everybody was scared of them. That's us. They didn't seem to remember, even if they even cared to know, that their grandfather, a, a great-grandfather, Abraham, had received a promise that affected them because they were part of the family. They didn't seem to care, didn't seem to know. Uh, Joseph was different. He must have, and I can't exactly give you a verse for this, but just if you see the whole picture, um, get, get the whole picture uh, of the story, Joseph knew, deeply knew, the whole story of Abraham and the blessing. He knew it. And that would strongly suggest that he sat with his father Jacob and he got the story. He heard it over and over and over again. We are the chosen family. We are a family with destiny. And, and, and we are, our place in the world is to bless the world, even as we are blessed and we wait for the blessing. Um, or in, in us, all families shall be blessed. That is who you are. That's your destiny. It's very possible. I worked it out once in how old people were and where they fit. And it's very, very possible that Joseph sat on the knee of Isaac when he was a little boy, and Isaac, his grandfather, taught him the whole story of Abraham and the blessing and of how he, Isaac, had been about to be killed, you remember, and the Lord had stayed the hand of Abraham and said, Isaac, and goes on to repeat that promise to Isaac. It's very possible. It's even possible that he might have met his great-great-grandfather, Abraham, and, and, and maybe even heard it from him. But it was deep, deep in the heart of jo J Joseph that um, he was this, not a special, but within a special family, a, a family with a destiny of changing the entire course of the history of the entire world. And not only did he know it, but he's learning how to apply that in every situation he finds himself in. That might have been why he was the successful one. It appears that he could read and write. The, the other family members were shepherds, and that's as far as it went. 
but Joseph is made manager of the whole ranch and he's he's only 16 years old that's that's tough if if you're 35 and your manager is your despised hated pesky little brother um, and he's made manager, which is going to come and tell you how to shepherd sheep. And you were shepherding sheep before he was born. Doesn't sit well, Jacob. You're making big mistakes here. You, you're you're creating the perfect storm. And, and Joseph uh, comes over very real. Um, what what do nasty little boys like that do? They they tell stories. <laughs> And he came home and he said, I told his father, I overheard Judah saying this to Simeon, you know, and, and Reuben said this. And and all the stories he told were just got that hint, that slant to them that says, these are bad boys. They're not, in, they're not working for you properly. And Jacob should have told him to shut up, but he didn't. He made him manager of the whole farm. I say it again, it's it's the perfect storm. Now, if you were here last week, and I'm not going to go over the whole thing, but you remember I used that bigger word, that we live in a contingent universe? That is when God created, He it's part of our creation that we make choices that are valid choices that God honors whatever choices they are. That's the only way he's ever going to end up with a relationship with us. If he made a whole um, creation of robots, you can never love a robot and you can never have a relationship with a robot. So you have to take, and I'll use the word risk, that I'm going to give you free will so that in the end I will win you with a free will to have a genuine relationship. And all of nature, what we call nature, all of creation, uh, works according to laws that are built into it. So God is not making something happen. So you don't say, why did God allow this? Because he's not in the business of allowing or disallowing. That he, he, he simply loves this creation as we make choices, idiotic choices, crazy choices, wonderful choices. But we make choices. And he now, in that posture of serving us, would come and join in our choices, but he will never negate them. He will never say, you can't make that choice. He'll work with it, but he, you get it? He doesn't take away from us the power of choice. He works with our choices, in our choices, even if they're evil choices. And he turns them ultimately to bless, which is something only God can do. And that's the word that Joseph used at the end of his life. When this whole story had unfolded, he says, you, he spoke to his brothers, you meant it for evil. God meant it, the same thing, meant it what? Your choices, he meant them for good. And that is a big word, meant. The word meant, um, it, it's an intention. It's not an sort of, I made a mistake, or I shouldn't have said that. Meant means, oh yes, I, I know I said it. I planned on saying it. I hope you heard I said it. 
I meant it. It's an intention. And it's an intention to achieve a particular end. It's an intention for a particular destination or purpose. I meant what I did, and I meant it to get to that point. It's a very strong word. And so the brothers, yeah, they meant. It was a rising hatred. They meant. They meant. They dreamed about it at night. They meant it. Evil. We want to get rid of this kid. Now, please hear me, because I say this can change your whole life. Because we have been raised, especially in our Western world, with a God that isn't in the Bible. That is, and it comes down to, why did God allow that? That is so, well, you're off on the wrong track. Because right now, then, you're semi, at least, blaming God for it. You know, if he could have disallowed it, why did he allow it? Well, then he sort of, he sort of, yeah, he he said okay to it. And now we're off on a whole other track. And we come up with, you know, what is the will of God for me? Oh, God, get me out of this. Shut up. (laughs) Come, look, God doesn't simply allow things. He's not the old grandfather in a rocking chair just smiling at the kids playing. Yeah, we'll allow that. We'll allow no. The, the, the wonder of the entire Bible and your salvation is you're free. He gave us the power of choice with the grand end in view that because you can choose, you can choose to receive his love. Not like a robot that's just plugged in at night and you get it. It's a choice. It's a relationship. It's real. So when someone like the brothers desires with a passion to give evil to another, God doesn't just snap his fingers in a puff of magic. They're gone. And I know everybody would say, I wish that were so. Yeah, the trouble is there's somebody else over there who wants God to snap his fingers and puff you out of the way. So by the time we're finished, we'd all be gone. That's the world we live in. Get a life. That's where we live, in a world of free choice. And these brothers meant it was their purpose, evil for for Joseph. But then at the end, with a twinkle in his eye, Joseph said, but God joined the conversation. You didn't notice him, but he was sitting at the campfire with you when you were planning to kill me. And God took your words, he took your free choices, and he didn't say you couldn't have them. He just took your free choices and he would mean that your free choices to do evil would actually bring about his intention of good. Wow. That's pretty something. And, And what is the great good that is meaning here? Well, there was a great famine coming to the world. Today we don't even notice it because we transfer food from one place to another. But in ancient days and some places in the world today, 
famine means death of entire civilizations, uh, um, certainly death of all villages. Great famine was coming. And it wouldn't only wipe out the whole world, but it would wipe out the family that carried the blessing that would end up with Jesus. And so God is making plans. He's not going to stop the famine. Here we go again. The famine coming about by natural means. But he's going to stop it in a way that we could never imagine. And the plan he has, it's got to come out from the very center of the world to affect everybody. Well, what was the center of the world? In those days, the world was very small. People hadn't explored the vast world. They lived in the, just a little world around the Mediterranean. And so the center of the world was Egypt, where the pharaoh ruled with a rod of iron and controlled most of the world. So we've got to get to the very center. We've got to have somebody that even Pharaoh will listen to. And Pharaoh thought he was a god, so he didn't listen to too many people. But we've got to get somebody who can speak to the Pharaoh, look in his eyes and tell him with the wisdom of God how to overcome the famine. How are you going to do that? considering you've only got one family on the face of the planet that can even know there is a God. We've got to get somebody out of that family to sit down beside Pharaoh and look him in the eyes and say, listen to me, this is what we're going to do. That's what those dreams that the little kid had were all about. Because the little kid didn't know that, nor did the family know that. In fact, in telling the dreams, he stirs up the hatred. Hold that in mind, because that's the greater meaning. This is what's going on. And so the young manager of the ranch, a 17-year-old kid, he's coming to find his brothers to take a check off them, tell some stories to his dad. And they were 63 miles away from the camp looking after their sheep. And Joseph comes and that coat, that ghastly coat, was billowing out in the wind and flashing colors as it went. And the brothers look and they, you can almost hear the spite in their words. They said, the master dreamer comes. Only now. We're 63 miles away from home. And remember, there were no telephones, no cell phones, no internet. You know, that's big. Over here, we seem to think, well, why didn't they? No, there's no communication. You might as well have been on planet Mars. They said, it, we've had it. We've had it. We'll kill the kid. Kill him. Shut him up. Uh, and they, they decided that, sitting around the campfires, they watched him across the fields as he's coming. We've had it. We're not going to have another session with him. And so they capture him, kidnapped their own brother. And they took that coat and with some hideous relish, they killed a goat 
and they dipped it in the blood of the goat and said, take this to the old man and tell him his favorite kid, we found his coat. He's obviously been mauled by an animal. Reuben tried to stop them from killing him. So they, they threw him in a pit, wondering what shall we do with him now. And it was then that the Ishmaelites came, which were tribal people, Bedouins, but they were on their way to Egypt. They were on the big Egyptian road with all their camels and donkeys. And sure, they were into slave traffic. And while Reuben was gone, the other brother said, hey, if, we, if Reuben doesn't want us to kill him, let, let's make a fast buck. Let, let, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. And he sold him. Sold him to slave traders who were going to, you got it, Egypt. It's it a terrible thing. They, they, were, they trust you like a Thanksgiving turkey and put shackles on your hands and feet and you're in a crawl position and then they put you in a basket and strapped you to the side of the camel and that's how they transported slaves or soon-to-be slaves and it says we read it in Psalm 105 that, that the shackles hurt him but the hurt, it says, was his very soul that his own brothers had done this. He had screamed at them from the pit where they threw him. And the brothers wouldn't forget that. Years and years later, they feel guilty that they'd listened to their brother screaming and they'd done nothing about it. Uh, have, you, have you ever been on a camel, you know, as it goes right there through the Sinai uh, and the sand? And, I mean, you're in there with the shackles on your hands and feet and, and trussed like a turkey, can't move. You land in Egypt because there's other things going on. Remember, no one's free will is in, interfered with here. But in the house of Potiphar, now what was Potiphar? Well, he was the captain of Pharaoh's bodyguard. You, you could say he was head of the secret service, um, but he was so close to Pharaoh because, well, he's the bodyguard, and these are men trained to jump in between Pharaoh and an arrow that's coming at him. And this is the captain, this chief guy, very close to Pharaoh. And he just, uh, I mean, I don't know why... Uh, because the man of that position can have what he wants and he has it all the time. But today he needs, I don't know if he knew the meaning of that word, need, but he needs a special slave. And so he tells someone, get down to the market, get me, get me a slave. That's interesting. Just throw it out there. Who told Pharaoh, Potiphar, you better get a slave, quick, today. And the man arrived in the marketplace just as the camels were coming in from up north. And there'd be a lot of slaves on the marketplace from here, there, and everywhere. Who, who, who put it into the head of Potiphar's servant to look at that guy and say, I've got to have that guy? And put Joseph in more shackles and led him off to Potiphar's house. 
If you were a Hebrew, you're 17 years old. All you speak is Hebrew. You've never seen anything else. You've never seen the great monuments, the pyramids of Egypt. You've lived in tents, lived with sheep. Now, what are you going to do? In fact, what had he been doing all the way down on the camel side? Please hear me. If he had responded to circumstances, please, I'm not preaching. This is the very guts of life. If he had responded to circumstances, he would have said, I've had it with God. If I'm blessed, are you kidding? If I'm blessed, why did God allow this? I'm not blessed. Dreams, forget dreams, bunch of fairy stories. And I hate my brothers. And one day there'll be revenge because that's a helpless imagination because you're going to be sold as a slave and that will be the end of you. But you might as well dream about it. Some gives you something to think about all the evil that's coming on your brothers. Anger. Anger at the brothers, anger at the world. Why am I here? Anger at God. Envy suddenly of those who are free. He had passed by the road that led to Egypt, sort of the Interstate 10 of those days, uh, uh, where all the camels went down to Egypt, passed by the ranch of old Jacob. It's within reason to say that Joseph could have looked out through the wicker bars of his cage and saw his father, saw his, he certainly saw his home. The road went right past the door. Envy of freedom. Never be free again. Never be free again. Bitterness. Bitter. Why does this happen to me? It's, you just, I mean, think about it in terms of what might have happened? Um, certainly, if I'm angry at God and I'm angry at the people who did this to me, but I'm helpless to do anything about it, it ends up that I'm angry at everybody and everything. I, I can't talk to anybody without snapping because I'm angry. You know, if you have a bad day at the office and you come home and you take it out on your wife and kids, that, that's what I mean. It's, it's a sense of helplessness, but I've got to let it out. And so anger, resenting Potiphar, resenting Potiphar's house and all the people over him, resenting the very fact he's now a slave in chains. He could have spiraled down, down and down and down, anticipating the, the future as a slave. Be the victim of my circumstances. Poor me, whining, complaining, judging everybody in sight. That would have been natural. I wouldn't have been surprised if he said that. <sighs> the amazing thing is he didn't. <coughs> if Joseph, on the side of that camel, on the trip from the Canaan down into Egypt, if that had been what he was doing, we would never have heard of Joseph again. 
the brother's designs would have been fulfilled. Do, do you understand that? Okay, God bless your nod. You should know that. Um, if we respond to circumstances and say, why is this happening to me? Why did God allow it? I respond to circumstance and I'll get even with the person who produced these circumstances. I'm angry at the circumstance. If that had been what he was doing, the circumstances would have killed him. Literally, that would have been it. But he lived not responding to the circumstance, but responding to God who made promises. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? And that's why it says in Psalm 105, the word of the Lord tried him. And the word try there was a word specifically used for heating up silver so that all the dirt and crud in the silver would rise to the top and it would be refined. And that's the word it was used. It says the word of the Lord refined him. The circumstances didn't. You know, sometimes when bad things happen to you, stupid people say, well, it's going to make a man out of you. It, don't be daft. It's going to make a corpse out of you. It's, that's, uh, God doesn't... See, that's what people say. Well, God sent it. God sent God didn't send the kidnapping. God didn't send the shackles. God didn't send Potiphar. But he said, I'm going to so use this that it will achieve a greater end. And Joseph, who didn't know that greater end, he didn't have a clue what was going on, but he said, number one, God said he would bless us. He said, I would be a blessing. It said, I would serve a blessing. Then God means this as blessing. And he gives me this opportunity to give and be a blessing. And that was the choice he made when they dragged him out of that basket and tried to get life back into his legs and stand there and look strong. He'd made up his mind. He saw himself blessed. That is, see, it doesn't mean, well, if I was blessed, this wouldn't be happening to me. No, you got a wrong idea of God. God said, wherever you are, you'll be blessed. Wherever you are. He didn't say, but I'm going to make you triumphant in every circumstance. Circumstances might be wretched. Circumstances might be prison. Circumstances might be whatever. But wherever you find yourself on the planet, you are blessed. You're never a victim. You are always my man. You are empowered. And you are being served strength and life by God himself. And it's given to you that wherever you are, whoever you deal with, you bless them. And remember, this is only three generations in the first promise of salvation. So we, we are way down the line here at the end with all the blessing and all the insight. But this is, this is so basic. He got out of, of that cage, was sold on the marketplace, and there, that's where his mind was. He's 17 years old. 
I, I don't know what Elsie was thinking, but every other thought that came up was met with the word of God. He said he would bless me. There's a meaning here. God's meant is to bless you. And so he clung to that promise. Do you know, how can I say this quickly? You never really believe anything until you are faced with contradictions that should, would say you should believe something else. Do you understand? People all bright-eyed and fuzzy-headed come out of a revival meeting and say, I believe, I believe. And I say, yeah, right. You know, and God bless them, I know what they mean. But they don't believe until everything in life seems to say the opposite that's when you believe or we say when the rubber hits the road uh, and here God meant in everything so the brothers are going to sell kill him and the Holy Spirit gently deals with that decision through Reuben it was another person's free will who said don't kill him and then the Ishmaelites and the idea, make a good buck, sell him. We're getting close. I'm getting excited now because they're on their way to Egypt. And that, that's where it's got to be. And they're going down to Egypt and long before they get there, the Holy Spirit's working in Potiphar's house to set it up somehow that Potiphar, the man who has no needs whatsoever, suddenly needs a slave and got his man to go down there just at the right time to get him. But who knows that? What a coincidence. That's what he's saying. God meant. God meant. He never interrupts your free will, but he uses what you did to. He's got him into Egypt, and he's got him now in the house of Potiphar. And he's meaning for good and blessing. And so you look at the ugly face of pain and hurt and rejection. And you say to it, you mean evil. You mean pain to me. You mean misery to me. You mean futility. But I choose to believe that at this very moment, God is meaning this for good. A word that means pleasantness and wholeness and joy and the fulfilling of his intention is happening before my eyes. So he was auctioned off like a used car. They never dreamt who they got into their house. Because instead of being the victim, whining, complaining, angry, he embraced his situation. Wow! I mean, I thought you're supposed to scream at God and say, get me out of here, and then confess that every day. And make that your focus. I'm getting out of here because this couldn't be the will of God. This this is the devil. And that never came up. Joseph was convinced, as so is the rest of the scripture, that if there is a God in heaven, I wouldn't be here unless there was a meaning and a purpose. And the American woolly-faced Christianity says we can't get hurt 
I'm afraid of pain. Don't hurt me. I've got a God who will always rescue me. And so, forget about everybody around me. Who cares about them? Oh, God, get me out of here. God, get me out of here. But from the very opening pages of the Bible, it isn't get me out of here. It says, I embrace this moment as a place where God has chosen to bless me. I am blessed inside this house of Potiphar. I'm blessed with these shackles on my hands. You might remember Paul said the same thing in the New Testament. But beyond that, he looked at his fellow slaves as well as Potiphar that he hadn't met by this time. I'm here to bless them and pass on. I'm here to pray the blessing of God upon Potiphar. But he's the man who just bought you. He's the man who put the shackles on you. Yeah. He doesn't realize who he's got in his house. I'm blessing him. It wasn't long before Potiphar noticed that there's a slave down there who's bringing peace to the whole area and is doing work like I've never seen before because he's embracing it and saying, give me more opportunity to bless this man. Joseph rose quickly. He became the personal assistant of Potiphar. Oh, this is getting so exciting because now... What would you have to do to become the personal assistant of Potiphar? You'd have to learn high Egyptian. That is, not street slang. He would have to learn how to speak Egyptian because Potiphar was in and out of Pharaoh's court and he would take his assistant slave with him. Joseph had to speak to the courts of Pharaoh in Egyptian to do the business of his master, Potiphar. He'd have to learn how you act in the Egyptian court. Big jump from being a shepherd kid. Oh, isn't the Holy Spirit fantastic? I mean, we're getting closer and closer and closer. We got him from a shepherd to Egypt, from Egypt to the man who was closest to the Pharaoh. Then we taught him Egyptian, and he doesn't even know why. He's just doing it because I embrace the moment and I recognize I'm blessed. Huh. Fantastic. Oh, then, then the wife shows up. By this time, Joseph would be in his early 20s magnificent species of a human being and he had hair see egyptians i don't know if you'd noticed in pictures of egyptians they shave their head especially in the higher classes but who cares about a hebrew he he has long hair so here's this guy with his shiny black hair and rippling muscles and a charismatic personality that's taken over this. It's no wonder she noticed him. And open. I mean, she's the, the master's wife. She doesn't have to beg or just be seductive. She just goes straight for it. I want you to come to bed with me. Joseph said, I have honor, lady. He said, everything in this house that is your husband's, I, I'm responsible for. He trusts me. And he said, I could never do this for I live in the presence of God. 
that worked for a while. And then she came on strong. And he just had had it trying to explain to her. He ran. And as he ran, she grabbed his coat. Well, in Egypt, but especially in that higher ruling class, rape was immediately punished by death. There was no court. There's no attorneys. Rape meant death. And so the woman screams and people come running and she says, that Hebrew that was brought into our house, he tried to rape me and look, I just caught his coat as he ran. When Potiphar hears, now we're, we're on the edge here. We might lose our hero any minute because the law, remember, was not American law. It was, you could hardly call it law. It's the way things worked. And Potiphar did a weird thing. He didn't have him executed. Uh, why? So you've got to ask that question. Why? why? Why wouldn't he have him executed? That was the law. And there's his wife standing there screaming right in the face, shaking the coat. Maybe he knew his wife. <laughs> but I believe the Holy Spirit put something in his heart. I don't think he was forced to. He made a choice. I'm not going to kill him. I just throw him into jail. Ah, but just a minute. Well, this is getting better. There were two jails in Egypt. There was the jail for the common man. But then there was the jail for those who had committed crimes within the royal house. That didn't mean to say they were better jails. They were just different. Those who had committed crimes against the pharaoh or committed crimes against his highest officers maybe had it worse. But Potiphar throwing Joseph into jail meant he threw him into the royal jail. Well, in one sense, that looks like a dead end. No, because when Joseph landed there, boy, can you, you've got to feel this. Wouldn't you have been so mad, self-pitying victim of that woman? I had reached the top, and she's brought me down. No. The moment he got into jail, it's the same principle. I am a blessed man, and God means to bless this place and bless everybody in it. And so, well, of course that person rises to the top. You go into an office, you go into your factory and bless everybody there just by being who you are, which doesn't mean telling them to stop cussing because you've arrived doesn't mean to say you can't drink hard liquor in my presence. I'm a Christian. No. That's no wonder everybody flees from you. You bless them as they are, who they are, where they are. And the result was he, sh he changed the atmosphere of the jail. And the master of the jail, directly under Pharaoh, noticed and made him his assistant. And we, we've looked at the various... Uh, un they've unearthed, you know, these jails of the past.
and there is such a position it's right it's written into their that position is what Joseph got he's over the whole jail now right under the master though he's still a slave but it gets even better because the cupbearer and the baker of the royal household notice of course it's the royal household that's what this jail is about obviously somebody had tried to poison the pharaoh and the suspicion was on the baker and on the cupbearer you know what a cupbearer was yeah we don't have it today but maybe we do i don't know <laughs> but it, it it means that whenever the whenever the pharaoh would eat or drink the cupbearer had to drink it first meaning if it's poisonous we'll watch him die and, and know it well you know it was meant for me um you couldn't get in it. The, the Pharaoh trusted his life to the cupbearer. And the baker was pretty much after that. Well, they both have a dream. As I said, in those days, dreams meant a lot. And they sit for breakfast, both looking very sad because they've had a dream and we don't know what it is, what it means. Jacob, uh, Joseph said, dreams are from God. I know about dreams. I'll interpret you a dream. Joseph, are you nuts? I mean, what, what, don't, don't you see? If naturally speaking, if, if someone comes to Joseph and says, I had a dream, Joseph should have replied, dreams, don't talk to me about dreams. It was dreams that got me in this place. Shut up and get out of here. Well, I would, I would expect that. Instead, he is still saying, I had a dream and it's going to come to pass. He said, dreams come from God. He's still trusting that. He's driven by that original promise to Abraham and the specific promise made to him. And he told them their dreams. Well, the baker was obviously the one that was involved in the poisoning and he was executed, just as Joseph said it would be. But then the cupbearer was restored to the position he was found innocent according to the dream, and it really happened. And here, on that great day, the cupbearer is getting cleaned up. He's going to be let out. He's going back to the Pharaoh, and he's going to become the cupbearer again. And he turns and he thanks Joseph for giving me such hope while I was in jail by interpreting my dream. And Joseph said, look, I, I, I'm here on a, a setup, a framed when you get back to the Pharaoh, you know, you can talk to the Pharaoh face to face. He said, would you tell him about me? And, and tell him, you know, I, I shouldn't be here. Have him pardon me. It's within reason. The cupbearer said, Joseph, I'll never forget you. I'll get you out of here. And as he was going out through the door, the Holy Spirit says, forget and he forgot there was a man called Joseph. Why? Joseph was 28 years old then. 
Surely, why? As he sits there waiting, is he telling Pharaoh, is he telling Pharaoh? Nothing. Because the Holy Spirit says, forget. You see, if the man had remembered at that time, and Pharaoh probably would have released him on the word of his cupbearer. So what would have happened? Joseph would have gone out onto the streets. He's a freed criminal. Where's he going? I don't know. He's just on the street, free, but going nowhere. And again, one could say you would never have heard of Joseph again. Instead, for two more years, Joseph embraced even the rejection even having been forgotten, he embraced it. And I am a blessed man. No one can take it from me. For God himself has blessed me. And he's given me a dream of greatness. I don't know where it all fits, but... Meanwhile, back in the palace, after two years, Pharaoh has a dream. Well, no, he didn't have a dream. It was a nightmare. Somehow it terrified him of seven fat cows that were suddenly eaten by seven skinny cows. It's a horrible dream. But it was horrible because the dream spoke to Pharaoh and Pharaoh knew this is terrible. I don't know what it means, but it's terrible. And he called all of his wise men who were supposed to interpret dreams. They didn't know what it meant. He's raging at them. And the cupbearer comes in with a glass of wine. And he hears the king raging at the wise men about a dream. He said, Holy Spirit said, remember, Joseph, I'd forgotten every word about him. He said to Pharaoh, I know a man. Pharaoh said, bring him to me. It's done. Do you realize? And it says that down in the jail, they, they had to bathe Joseph, his filthy, hair matted probably, dirty, ragged clothes. They bathed him and they shaved him because the Egyptians hated beards and they hated hair. And um, they bring this slave into Pharaoh. See, if... If he had not been with Potiphar, he wouldn't know what's going on. He'd be terrified. Instead, he walks in with confidence. He knows his way around the palace. He's been here as a slave. And he can speak Egyptian. He can speak high Egyptian like they did in the palace. And the king told him his dream. Joseph said, God is the interpreter of dreams. And he says, we are on the verge of seven years of such harvests that you've never seen before. But he said, that will be followed by seven years of a famine that will eat up the harvest that you've never dreamed possible. He says, you need to appoint a man to organize so that this is kept for the salvation of the world. Because Egypt was the center of the world. 
what happened there went out to the rest of the world. The Pharaoh said, appoint a man. Could I do better than you? You are a man in whom dwells the Spirit of God. You have wisdom. And he was appointed second in command to Pharaoh. And they shaved his head. And they made him just like an Egyptian. And for seven years they hoarded all of the grain until there were granaries no more to fill. And then Joseph organized it so that now there's grain for everybody for the seven years of famine. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, where brothers had long laughed at having finally gotten rid of Joseph, now they're hungry. They've run out of food on the edge of starvation. And they say, you know, we've heard that in Egypt there's grain in abundance. There's some mighty Egyptian there who's got it all under control. And Jacob said, go, get us grain. Can you imagine when those brothers walked into that ornate court and there was a man who licked every inch an Egyptian, who spoke Egyptian, and had ordered them to come because he'd heard that brothers had come from the land of the Hebrews. He said, bring them. And they come and they bow before him. Just like he said when he was 10 years old. And he begins to question them. Is your father still alive? And so on and so on. And I'll leave it. We don't have time. How... Essentially, he wanted to know, how do you treat? I'm a son of Rachel, and you dumped me. Are you still in the dumping business? Do you remember he wanted to know about Benjamin, which was his younger brother? What are you doing with Benjamin? And he says, you know, I want you to bring Benjamin here. I want to see this younger brother of yours. They don't have a clue who he is. They're just terrified of him because he's the master of Egypt. They go back and Jacob says, you're not taking Benjamin. I've lost my Joseph. I'm not going to lose Benjamin. Until the brothers come and they say, we're starving to death. They say, kill us if we don't bring Benjamin back. And so the old man finally relinquished Benjamin and they take him back. And then, as I say, read the story. But finally, Jacob, uh, Joseph can hold it back no more. He's on the verge of tears and he orders all his servants out and to their horror begins to speak to them in Hebrew. He's been talking to them through an interpreter and now... He speaks Hebrew. He says, I'm Joseph. (laughs) Only God could do this. I'm Joseph. And he sent me here in order to save the world from starvation and you in particular. 
Romans don't know what to do, where to turn. They're terrified of him. He's the most powerful man in the world now. He's going to get us. And Joseph said, no, you, you, you meant it for evil. I'm not excusing you. You meant it for evil. But in your decision, sitting at the campfire waiting for me to show up, you meant it for evil, but God himself was sitting at the campfire and took your meant and made it his meant to send me ahead of you into Egypt. And you could go on <laughs> and put me in part of his house to learn Egyptian, to learn to be an Egyptian. And he put me in jail, even though it's all people's choices. He didn't make them choose that. But every choice a human being makes, God will take it and use it to achieve his meant of blessing right through to standing under the Pharaoh. And they didn't believe him. And so it was when Jacob finally died and Joseph had brought the whole family down to Egypt. That's what got them into Egypt. And Jacob died then the brothers really were terrified. And they said, now the old man's dead. He's going to kill us. And that's when he said what we read at the end of chapter 50. He said, please. And he wept. He said, do you see I'm God? That I'm going to start dishing out punishments to you? He says, yes, you did mean it for evil. Can I tell you again? God meant it for good the good that has affected the entire world. So he said, I not only forgive you, but I am going to give you total support. I'll, I'll pay your bills. I'll look after you. That is such a principle. That's not just a story. That's a principle. For when the blessing of Abraham came in the person of Jesus do you remember how it worked out wicked men said we'll kill you but in killing him and shedding his blood they brought salvation to themselves you meant it for evil. But God said, this is my plan of salvation. That you killed him, and in killing him, you brought salvation. You get it? No wonder he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Any more than the brothers knew what they were doing. And in his resurrection, he did save the world. So it's too late. I'm, forgive me, I blabber away here. But you, you've got to realize this is a principle. Take what I've said and apply it to your life because it couldn't be much worse than what he went through. But what we go through, God doesn't make it happen. He doesn't sort of like an old man allow it. He is doing a dance with you. He's meaning blessing. And you let that word 
try you it's a response I respond to that word no I don't respond to the second I respond to that word and that word then I bless you as I have been blessed and see what God does Father we thank you that you reveal to us principles that make no sense to this world but we thank you they are your very heart Open the eyes of our understanding to walk through our life. Whatever is happening now, whatever has happened and we've never let it go, and all that ever will happen and recognize you are not only with us, you are in us. You carry us in your blessing. Give us the grace to bless all that are in our life and to watch as you unfold a destiny we have no way of comprehending. We ask, we receive, we give you thanks, we delight in you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.